0: Welcome to Pazina Perspectives, our podcast series at Pazina Investment Management. I'm Valerie Arnold, co-head of North American Distribution. Pazina is a global value manager known for our commitment and dedication to disciplined value investing throughout an investment cycle. Today, we are here to discuss our Q1 2021 highlighted holding, Michelin. This podcast goes along with our highlighted holding included in our Q1 newsletter and posted on our website. Now let's turn it over to our guests. I'd like to introduce you to our co-CIO, John Getz. John has been at Pisina since our founding 25 years ago, and he is a PM on our global, international, European, Japan, and emerging market strategies. Please welcome John. Hi,
1: Valerie, thank you.
0: Thank you, John, for joining us. I'm also here with our tire analyst, Akhil Subramanian. Akhil has been at Pisina for almost four years, and he is focused on the auto suppliers and consumer sectors. Welcome, Akhil. Hi, Valerie. Um, John, I thought I could start things off um, and was hoping you could tell us a little bit about how a company like Michelin comes on the research radar. Uh, Why did it screen up?
1: Yeah, um, just reminding our, our audience that our goal here, our mission, is really to, I like to say, grossly underpay for good businesses um, so we're uh, a value manager and what that means to us is finding good businesses uh, when they're significantly underpriced. Uh, in order to do that, what we do is we run our proprietary screen, where we're doing is evaluating all the companies in a given universe, in this case the global universe, where we're looking at uh, companies and comparing the stock price to what the future earnings power and cash flow is of the business. Um, Now, if you think about how you get a low price, clearly a low price uh, is only available if there's a controversy in the stock, usually meaning there's something going on, usually that something is not attractive for current earnings and and the cash flow uh, of the business. So typically in that first quintile, the cheapest companies in the world, we're finding things that something has gone uh, a bit wrong but we're also trying to find a good business where something has gone a bit wrong. So we're trying to find businesses where there's a temporary issue. And obviously we spend all our time in the research figuring out whether that is indeed a temporary issue, what it is, quantifying it, truly understanding how the business works and why the longer term prospects are good. Uh, The first step of that process, when we identify a company like Michelin, where it popped up in the screen and appeared to be inexpensive to us, the first thing we do is assign it uh, to someone who is working in that area, uh, that industry, uh, and we do that globally. Uh, in this case, Akhil is uh, our entire analyst globally. And, and what we do in that first two weeks is just identify the issues and, and try to develop a, a view of could we figure out the problems and determine whether the company is well-positioned longer term. So I think the best way to get this podcast rolling is is to start right there. When we assign the process to Akhil and, and we're looking at in the first two week review, we call it, what exactly are the issues? Why is this stock uh, down? Why is it appearing cheap? Uh, so Akhil, I'd like you to start out and, and maybe tell us in that first couple of weeks what what was attractive maybe about the business, the tire business, which can sound dull and boring and commodity-like, but, but what did you find and what were the key issues that we identified just in that two weeks? And then we'll kind of dive in
2: So, as John mentioned, um, we started off by looking at the tire industry as a whole, globally. And at the time that the entire industry screened up, there were a couple of macro-specific issues in terms of, um, you know, light vehicle production being lower than it was in the prior year. And on top of that, some issues on the raw materials side as well. What we found after looking at sort of the gamut of tire companies is that Michelin was an example of a very good business that had on top of the macro specific pain some company specific self-help opportunities and i can start diving into um some of the aspects of michelin if that makes sense
1: yeah well, I, I think i think we'll go there in just a second just just to clarify that akil when you know when we saw it uh what, what you were calling macro pain was really in 2019 where if you looked at the global auto industry and how many tires were going on brand new cars uh around the world it wasn't a great year for the tire business uh at That's all right. uh globally and, and and just for all the listeners i'd like to remind people that you know COVID was a disaster economically the worst gdp year uh, since the great depression for the globe and and but 2019 wasn't great for the tire industry so it's really bad on top of bad so so let's just understand usually when we're looking at industries that hey the environment is not so good Right. That's typically when we get to look at a business like that. So 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 let's take let's take the uh, issues uh, one by one, Akil, however you want to do it.
2: Sure. I think maybe uh, we can start by talking about um, Michelin's business itself and what makes it a good business. Does that make sure. sense? Okay, sure, great. That. So you know, when people typically think about the tire industry, they think of commodity tires, um, you know, things that are in the news because of anti-dumping and imports and things like that. I would say those tires exist, but a very, very low margin and probably loss making for most of the global tire companies. What we liked about Michelin was that Michelin generates the bulk of its profit actually from specialty tires. These are tires that go on mining aircraft and other off-highway vehicles. And also from what they call high value add passenger car tires. And those are typically the tires that go on luxury and premium vehicles. And so if I were to just dive into the high value add passenger car tires for a brief moment, um, these tires require a high degree of technical expertise to manufacture. Um, The OEM, whether it's BMW or Ferrari, has very specific customer specifications and tire companies have to meet those specifications. And inherent in all of this technology and R&D, there is a tension between safety and performance, which is a tension between having a very short braking distance and having, uh, not having the, ve- the tire be a drag on the vehicle, which is what they call rolling resistance. Um, there is also a trend towards tires that have larger diameter rims, but the vehicles themselves are not getting larger. So if I sort of contextualize that, a Chevy Suburban is more or less the same height as it was 10 to 15 years ago, And the space where the tire fits in, which is what they call the wheel well, is also more or less the same. But the diameter of the rim, which is the inside part of the tire, is actually getting larger. So over time, the rubber portion of the tire becomes thinner to fit the tire into the space that Chevy has allocated. In the industry, they call these low-profile tires, and aesthetically, they tend to look a lot better as well. So we have to note that the thinner tire has to match the same specs as the previous generation and then some. You can't just make it thinner and trade off on, say, performance or safety. These are not insignificant feats, and there are technical barriers to entry, and people who do this really get paid for it.
1: Yeah, I think that's interesting right there, gil to point out that while the industry may sound commodity, that all tires are not equal. So it's important to realize that where a business makes its money.
2: That's right. Um, and the other thing we haven't discussed is sort of the brand aspect of it. Um, you know, as part of our research, we spoke to tire companies around the world, and pretty much all of them benchmarked their pricing relative to how far below Michelin they were. Um, so that they would phrase it as we are 5% below Michelin, 10% below Michelin, 20% below Michelin. So you get the sense that Michelin is sort of uh, the leader in the industry. They command premium pricing on account of the D and account.
1: Very good so it's not it's not any different than any other consumer product where brand matters and product performance matters that's right so what else did you like about it
2: uh the other thing i wanted to touch on is uh there is an industry tailwind here so as we talk about these high value added passenger car tires um there is a mix shift which is to say there are more and more vehicles that demand these very high technical engineering Uh, specifications. And you can see sort of the industry is short on supply. They're always catching up as fast as they can, because we think about the number of luxury and premium vehicles that is expanding faster than overall vehicle sales. And so the industry is in a very nice position where um, there is a tailwind to the profitability. um, And this should benefit margins
1: going forward. If you're in that segment. I mean, there are many players that aren't in the premium segment. Of course, yes, yes.
2: And Michelin, by way of its R&D expertise and its branding, is certainly benefiting from this makeshift.
1: You know, it's it's interesting because obviously in many, many uh, industries that are high volume, everyone worries about Chinese production. Uh, In this case, you know, while the Chinese consumer is demanding uh, a high growth rate in luxury vehicles and thus, you know, wide diameter rims, and low profile tires. The reality is on the supply side in China, the uh, Chinese competitors aren't at the leading edge of performance of these tires. So it's a pretty interesting uh, contrast for some other industries where China quickly dominates uh, the industry. That's
2: right. In fact, a lot of the, uh, or the few leading tire companies are actually expanding production in China to meet that very specific demand.
1: How about the other? How about the other uh, drivers that you that you saw?
2: Sure. I wanted to touch briefly on the specialty business as well. Um, this is sort of another high quality business that leverages Michelin's R and D. Um, the specialty business, like I said, are tires that are found on mining aircraft and other off-road vehicles, and the customers are typically business to business, not business to consumer. So they care a lot about the performance aspects of a tire. If I were to just give you an example, say in the mining industry. Um, These tires are ultra large tires. They go on those giant caterpillar trucks. They're taller than humans um, and customers care a lot about keeping the mine up and running and will pay for performance. They don't want the tires to wear out. They want them to run longer and they want them to carry heavier and heavier loads. And so this creates very strong barriers to entry and Michelin plays here on account of its technical leadership. In fact, the mining tire industry at least in the very ultra large tires is a duopoly.
1: Okay, so so I think I think you've done a good job of of explaining why on the price side, they might have a premium and therefore that's positive for profitability and leadership in profitability. Uh, I guess what we should do is maybe switch over to the cost side, you know, and ask ourselves, Okay, can they create can they translate that uh, profitability uh, from price into profit uh, profitability for the industry? So why don't you, you take us down what you found there?
2: Sure. So this was another um, aspect that we found to be very attractive, which is that if we benchmark the tires, tire companies globally, Michelin's leading technology position and brand is clearly demonstrated in the pricing. It's higher than everyone else. But if you benchmark the margins, you don't see that pricing advantage. And I, and I think that comes down to the fact that the cost structure at Michelin is suboptimal. Um, and so unfortunately, the industry-leading pricing has not dropped through to industry-leading margins. And The way we think about benchmarking the cost structure is Michelin tends to have smaller manufacturing facilities than peers, and typically these facilities are located in high-cost countries. If I were to give you an example, just in Western Europe and Eastern Europe, Michelin has around 15 manufacturing facilities, and these make between 80 to 100 million tires a year. If we take a company that has an industry-leading cost structure, one such example is Hankook Tire from South Korea, Hankook also produces about 80 to 100 million units, but that's spread globally only across five to six plants. So Hankook has larger plants than Michelin. And I would also note that, you know, the plants that they have are in low cost regions such as Hungary, Indonesia, and China. So I would say this is an example of the North star when it comes to optimizing Michelin's manufacturing footprint.
1: So we've identified, you know, some of the key issues and uh, some of that preliminary research of their positioning but now take us through what that, when you have these findings, kind of how you, how you get us to conclusions and, and what that process is.
2: Sure, so I, I guess what we identified was the suboptimal cost structure. And what we noticed is that a new management team had come into Michelin and was taking a very keen eye uh, to this cost structure and optimizing it and bringing it sort of, or marching it forward up to those industry standard levels. And so in 2019, Michelin announced the closure of about 10% of European production. Um, they also announced some initiatives to localize production. Like I'd mentioned before, um, you know, they're building facilities in China for the demand that's coming from the region. And so this is an industry standard practice. Most competitors um, make tires in the region of the world where they sell them. So for example, producing in China for consumption in China. And this has two benefits. This obviously reduces the carbon footprint because you're not shipping tires across the ocean. So it's good for ESG. And also it has huge benefits to not tying up working capital and investment in the business because you're not carrying inventory that's shipping across um, the ocean. The other thing I would point out is um, with the starting point of today, Michelin can build new facilities or optimize existing facilities based on the prevailing cutting edge technologies and best practices. You know, some of the existing plants that they have are two to three decades old, if not more. So replacing them with what is world-class today would get them closer to replicating the cost structure of their competitors and therefore improving their operating margins.
1: Okay, great. Uh, so we did this, we, what you're pointing out is we did a lot of work in terms of benchmarking, understanding the companies. We can, uh, in our process, talk to industry experts and sell side et cetera, you know, that has data sets that we can look at and try to figure out what Michelin profitability can be, right? if they do take the right cost actions and, and move manufacturing. Um, how, did you, how did you get comfortable that that could actually be true and actually happen looking out into the future?
2: So the way we got comfort is by, is by looking at the actions that they were taking and the actions that they could take and comparing them to competitors to see what could a profitability or cost structure improvement look like. And so roughly speaking, Michelin's operating profit in 2019 was about 2.7 billion euros. And by adding up the various initiatives that they've announced, you know, reducing overhead, um, closing unproductive facilities, scaling up the plants that are already in low cost regions, we found that they could improve their operating profit by you know, a magnitude of several hundred millions of euros on a base of 2.7 billion of operating profit. So it's a sizable improvement based on, you know, a 2019 profit base. Uh, at that point, uh, we had an opportunity to go to France and actually meet the management team where we were able to spend some time with them tour facilities and really walk through um, our numbers and see if it's sort of tied to the North Star that they were looking at when they mentioned restructuring and tackling the cost structure. And then we came back and got some comfort on it. Um, and our work indicated that Michelin was trading at about nine times normalized earnings.
1: Uh, yeah, kill I, th- you know, I think it's interesting when we talk about, you know, paying nine times uh, the future earnings power, uh, uh, that's five years out in, in, in our nomenclature. Um, and, and we are taking a longer term perspective. So we saw you know, that is a reasonably uh, attractive investment. What's interesting just for the audience to realize is that was 2019 we're talking about. Uh, and, and shortly after we had finished this research, uh, COVID uh, hit the world and we had this, what I like to call a, a complete seizure in the automotive industry production actually ground to a halt in most countries in the world. Uh, and that's obviously Michelin shipping tires. We stopped driving because we're all staying home. So there was a real crisis Uh, in in the auto industry. Uh, And and, and Akhil, maybe it's useful at this point, to even talk about how you were comfortable with us, you know, significantly adding to the position uh, during those darkest days.
2: Sure. Uh, So when COVID hit, we actually uh, stress tested all of our portfolio companies to understand what would a negative revenue shock look like? And how would that translate through the financials to not just operating profit, but cash flow? Because one of the main concerns was uh, companies would not have large enough liquidity buffers to withstand a prolonged period of lockdowns. Because if you wind back to March or April of 2020, we really had no idea how long COVID would persist in terms of how severe the lockdowns were. And so we did a number of stress tests to understand how much flexibility there was in the cost structure and how much liquidity there was. And we got pretty comfortable that Michelin, even under very adverse scenarios, would not have to draw down um, on some credit facilities that they viewed as a backup. So credit facilities essentially that had been promised to them that were quite large, we felt comfortable that they wouldn't have to draw down on them. And that's what sort of got us excited about um, the valuation of Michelin.
1: Yeah, and, and we, we knew as well that some of the weaker players might uh, have a really, really tough time if, if COVID uh, extended. Uh, it's always nice when you own the company that can survive longer than its competitors uh, in in a dark uh, in a dark environment. Uh, I think it also, you know so so we had an opportunity, uh, I'm just speaking now as as portfolio manager to to really uh, step into the position when it was at its cheapest uh, during during Covid and and add there. And I think that's a common feature of how we build some of the alpha in our portfolios is to be able to take up positions that we think have good downside protection just when the world is, is terrifying uh, to most investors. So I think that that's, that's one point. Hey, Akhil, we, ha- we have not yet talked about the really long run future that people might worry about ESG issues and electrification of autos and, and, and all, all this stuff that people might worry about longer term. Why don't you uh, talk a little bit about that and, and how you see Michelin as, as prepping for the long run?
2: Yes, I think this is one of the underappreciated points, actually. Um, You know, not only is it a good business with good long-run potential, it actually stands to benefit from disruption via electrification. And the way we see it is that the faster we move to hybrid and battery electric vehicles, the better it is actually for Michelin. Um, And I I can get into that a little bit. Um, Before, we were talking about the performance specs of high-value-add tires and how demanding they were electric vehicles just take it to the next level. So any shift to electrification just plays into Michelin's R&D and technical excellence. If I were to give you an example, we take an EV such as the Tesla Model S, it's about 15 to 20% heavier than its internal combustion engine counterpart. Um, It generates a lot more torque because everyone loves that zero to 60 acceleration uh, of the starting line. And if you drove a Tesla exactly as you would An internal combustion engine, all its equal, you're putting a lot more strain on the tires. So, you know, electric vehicles demand a lot more performance from the tires, and that kind of plays into Michelin strength. The other thing I wanted to point out is fuel economy. You know, in the internal combustion world, we talk about miles per gallon, but in the EV world, it's range anxiety. Customers actually want to squeeze every single last mile of range from an EV, and OEMs obsess over getting an extra mile or two when it comes to claiming that their range is, you know, 200 or 300 miles. So whatever level of performance you would have wanted from an internal combustion engine, you're just taking it to the next level with electrification. And so Mission's already demonstrated that it can produce EV tires at scale. And so we really like this part of the business. It's really underappreciated. It's a long-run story, but the faster we move to electrification, it actually is to the benefit of Michelin.
1: Yeah, that's 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 a pretty pretty exciting prospect. That maybe the, the longer we look, the longer we look into the future, maybe the more we like uh, Michelin. That's what our our goal is, right? To have businesses we think in the long run are, are improving their positioning rather than uh, deteriorating. So thank, thanks, Akhil. I mean that was that was a great uh, summary of key points of, of our investment in, in Michelin, uh, and uh, it, it is typical of what what we want to find something where you have a well-positioned business. In this case, a good brand, premium pricing, opportunity for some self-help, and and the ability to uh, go through a difficult period like 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 COVID was uh, in the industry. So um, that that kind of brings our our summary here to, to an end, and I just want to say that this is how we construct the portfolio, is trying to build these nice optionalities uh, for upside uh, in, in businesses that isn't reflected uh, in the stock price. And we really like the well-positioned uh, situation here for Michelin long run. Thank you all.
0: Thank you, John and Ophel. Um, thank you for joining me today. I think this was a great example um, of, of the type of research we do. I hope the audience enjoyed it. Um, if anyone has any questions about Michelin or, or any of the research we do, please um, I'll refer you to our website. You can go to www.pizina.com or um, reach out to us. Um, you can email us at infopezina.com. Thank you.